Hello, and welcome to On The Rocks. Thank you for tuning in. Quick shout out to Trey in Texas. I appreciate the views on our video series, After Hours. It is available for purchase on our website, yourwaywardmuse.com. Also to my main man, Michael Mendoza, for snagging the Ikigay octopus t-shirt design I did. We have a couple designs out that included tropical terroir tea, in case you need a little aloha in your life. We don't have sponsors here, so I can say fuck, and talk shit about publicly traded liquor conglomerates destroying the lives of farmers and local distillers. Any and all profit comes from merch, and donations. Thank you again for your support. This episode was recorded a few weeks ago. If you've noticed, corporations are undertaking massive layoffs to make their draconian shareholders smile. Dustin, whose value far outweighs any one of those companies, is no longer with the NA Spirits brand he came on to talk about. So any mention of them has been eviscerated from recording. Let's get into the amazing journey that he's had in the industry and the book that he helped write, Cocktails for Ding Dongs. Our next guest is a celebrated member of the cocktail community. He has been working in the industry since he was 13. His pursuits have led him to different cities and accolades around the country. He has worked in Milwaukee, Chicago, and Las Vegas, gaining recognition from the Jean Bonchet Awards to a finalist in the Bombay Sapphire's Most Imaginative Bartender Competition. Dustin, how are you? Wow, I think you got the wrong guy. That was too many nice things in a row. You know, I just try and throw them all out there at once, give people an understanding of just who, who they're getting to listen to. So. Hey, well, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate uh-huh. it. Yeah, we're lucky to have you. I was reading through all of your different things that you've accomplished throughout your career, and it's quite a list, and there are some amazing places that you've worked in Chicago. I'd, I'd love to hear what your journey was like. Well, I mean, starting around the age of 13 or so, I took a job at the only sit-down restaurant in, in my little town. It's called Bublitz's, uh, owned by Chuck and Kitty Bublitz. They let me wash dishes. I eventually, they let me uh, bus tables and speak to human beings, <laughs> and then... Uh, they learned I had a personality, so they let me uh, uh, wait tables on Sundays. And I was like, what, 14 or so? So I got like the post uh, church rush. I started making like 50, 60 bucks a shift. I was like, whoa, may- I'm rich, right? So I'm making mm-hmm. all this money. And uh, that was like the initial motivation because I, you know, we come from a very, I come from a very uh, blue collar family where you got to go out and get your own rather quickly in life. So I found that as a way to make some quick cash. And it was, it was ultimately the motivation I needed to just uh, keep cruising and worked it through school and start playing music and touring and, and, and pursuing that. And it, I was always able to fall back on bartending a few shifts to pick up cash and wash dishes, bus tables, bar back, started bartending. I, you know, after school and, and music didn't really work out, I, I ultimately was like, oh, I better do this bartending thing a little bit more professionally and, and figure that whole thing out. So started reading up on books. I picked up a DeGroff book and learned that there was this whole other world of cocktail culture out there that I had no idea existed. I, I was in the in the martini phase world where everything was like razzini, chocotini, you know. But then I just started reading about juices and, and infusions and all this stuff and slowly started integrating it. And I got a, a head bartender gig at the Iron Horse Hotel in Milwaukee. And they just kind of embraced some creativity because the, the bar gig I had before that was at Vanooks. It's just kind of dirty cocktail, not cocktail, dirty um, uh, rock and roll bar. So it was just Jack and Cokes, you know, vodka sodas, Miller High Life's, and that was about it. So this gave me the opportunity to do some interesting things. So we were doing like Pisco Sours and cracking egg whites. And the, the only real nod of cocktail culture that Milwaukee was really like involved in was Bryant's, which 
is owned by John Dye. So John Dye owns Bryant's and At Random, which are just two very historical cocktail bars in Milwaukee, still there, operating stronger than ever. Actually, Bryant's was the creator of the Pink Squirrel, my all-time mm-hmm. favorite cocktail. So that was as much of a cocktail culture that existed. So we were kind of bringing this more classic but modern feel to um, to this to this bar menu. So pisco sours and daiquiris and and um, you know pineapple infusions with gin and doing smashes. And um, I don't think at the time Milwaukee really had any of, of that. Not to toot a horn or mm-hmm. sound sound any sort of way, but it just th- those menus weren't really everywhere. And this was you know almost fifteen years ago. So and then from there, I wanted to learn everything there was about bars and, and cocktails and drinks. And just, I was all in. I wanted to learn high volume while doing cocktails. So that's why I moved to Las Vegas. I wanted to do a craft cocktail menu in a high volume setting to see how feasible those two really went. At the time you would see cocktail bars and they was just like five, 10 minutes for a drink. And you're like, mm-hmm. dude, come on, man. <laughs> well, yeah. it, beca- it became like a running joke, right? Get a pizza 30 minutes or less or it's free. It's like, come on, man. I, I wanted to learn how to integrate the two. So from there, it was like, you know, okay, cool, batching, cocktails on draft, you know, pre-bottling stuff. And just um, that would take all of that. It wasn't sacrificing quality of ingredients or fresh juice or anything like that. It was just being a little bit more creative in how we dispensed and delivered. So I brought that back to uh, move back to Milwaukee for a few months. And I was trying to figure out my next move, whether that was going to be San Francisco it was between San Francisco, Seattle, and Chicago. And uh, Chicago was just closest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not, but so I uh, I headed this way. And my ultimate goal was to open some bars here, which eventually happened. I've been here over 10 years now. So I worked with Boca Group for a little bit just to get my legs. And then uh, I hopped on board with uh, the 16 on Center Group. And I was with them for a long time. So started off as a bartender, started implementing the bar program at Talia Hall, like so Do Six, Punch House. They set me up to Hyde Park to open the promontory as a beverage director. After I got that all set up, they brought me on as a company-wide beverage director. So they let me concept a bar with some of the other um, leadership partners. Uh, So we opened a money gun. That was my first little like nod to the city. Like, this is what I want to do. This is my style. This was cool, classic cocktails with great music. We were focused more on getting drinks out quality level, but fast listening to good music, like just a bar, a cool bar, with great drinks. So it's funny because when we, we would describe it to people like, well, what is it, man? Like what, what's your thing? You know, cause everything has to have this fucking magic show and these bells and whistles. Yeah. And it, it was uh, man, it's just a bar. And we just, that's just what we kept saying. It's, it's just a bar. All of a sudden it's like a hashtag, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. you know, money gun. It's just a bar. And I was like, Jesus, like you just you can't have just any of this. When you open anything in Chicago, you get the honeymoon phase, right? You mm-hmm. get those, yeah. those three months where everybody wants to check you out and everyone has a voice and everybody is reading and writing about you. And then after that, it's like, well, now we got to figure out how to keep it going. There is that nice little initial push that you're able to get from just different publications. But then after that, it's like, what do you, what can you do with that momentum? And it's nice that there's enough of a structure here in the city that you're able to get that initial little launch. So yeah, to speak. No, go, go get, go get them. Right. Like, here yeah, you exactly. I get it. I just, um, you know, I, I think ultimately it's probably why I, I would, wouldn't have been a, a fantastic like restaurant group um, mm-hmm. operator, so to say, like I, I, I started getting into that after, after we did money gun 
you know, I had an opportunity as a, uh, as a partner to open multiple, multiple concepts and we were on our way. We, we did two, we did deadbolt and pink squirrel back to back, but it's just like, you know, we could have kept going and could have kept opening stuff. And, um, but I, I just kind of ultimately learned like, you got to be comfortable with all surroundings in food and beverage. And that's your day-to-day, your work-life balance, your, your partners, you know, mm-hmm. the people that you, that you share equity with. And it's like, if, if all those things aren't clicking, uh, like a, you know, like a good partnership or marriage, it's just not going to work out. And, and it, you know, it didn't, I was watching myself just like drink and drink and like, things are stressful. This is broken. Well, drink, drink, drink. Right. So mm-hmm. it was like the, it was really the only band-aid I, I, um, I, or, or whatever you want to call it, the only fix to my, my quote unquote problems that I was having. So it was, yeah. it was, um, it, it just wasn't, it, it just all wasn't lining up and I wasn't dealing with uh, the stress and all the, the nonsense of, of ownership. Well, it doesn't really seem to be a lot of outlet for most of the industry besides that first thing that's so readily available for us, which is booze. It seems like every shift drink is meant to put a bandaid over what is considered one of the most stressful jobs. They say it puts as much stress on you as a surgeon going through a a typical restaurant service. Just the amount of multitasking that you have to be able to perform, the speed at which you have to do it, as you're well aware. And then everyone gets a shifty at the end or they take a shot at 11 p.m., you know, and it's a little bit of poison is kind of what it equates to is it can be absolutely delicious and it, you know, gives a lot of us our profession, but a lot of people are looking for a new answer to that because they've realized, you know, my quality of life is diminished. I want something. There's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there, right. With our industry in general, where it's like, we preach, Hey, drink responsibly. But at the end of the day, it's like the, the overindulgence is everywhere. And I, and I would see myself like a slow night stopping at the bar and be like three shots, three beers. It's like, that was, that's six drinks. And that was just like, yeah, I'm not going to drink tonight. That, that was that response to that. So yeah, that was like, I'm being responsible tonight. I'm only yeah, going to have six drinks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, a high life for a lot of people is just multi water. So I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it was like, it was simply that it was my glass of water, like drink, mm-hmm. drink eight glasses of water and you'll be, you'll feel good. I was like, well, I had eight highlights, so I'm feeling real good. But yeah. I, I ultimately, you know, there, there has to be an adjustment point in, in every human being's life or else you're going to, you're going to end up down a really dark, uh, dangerous road. And that's, and that's ultimately where I was going, you know, I was drinking mm-hmm. all, all day long and, and then, and then fixed and then patching it the next day with more drinking. And, and it just, I didn't even realize how problematic it really was. Cause it's all I knew for, you know, I watched my old man do it his whole life and his cronies do it. I grew up in bars and bowling alleys yeah. cause I didn't know anything else. Let's put it that way. Right. I think there is a lot of, a lot of people out there that are responsible with their beverage and, and they don't binge drink. They don't, they're not out every night after shift or hanging mm. out at the, you know, taking forever to close the bar because they're drinking. So I, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that the whole industry in general has a problem with, with beverage, but it's definitely um, a lot of us that are, cause it's a bunch of outcasts in this industry. You know, we've all mm-hmm. somehow ended up in this crazy, crazy industry for a reason, you know, and like you said, it's high stress you know, and it's, it's, it's demanding and it's, you know, you, you work, you work injured and sick and, and we've learned since that none of that is sustainable or healthy. And I think that's kind of where my life has, has pivoted is that it's, I'm going on almost on two years, January 2nd will be two years for me of of no alcohol, which is congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
the longest I've ever, ever, I mean, prior to that, I've had a few bouts with sobriety, but it was, you know, seven months, five months yeah. to, to quote unquote, prove to myself, Oh, I didn't see, I didn't, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't, I don't need it. But it was just like, yeah. but once I had one, it, once I had one, it was, I was off and running, but you know, I, as I, as I was trying to figure out how to stay sober and not drink anymore, you kind of, you, it's the, the industry is all I really had to, to work in. And all I really know, I've been, you know, 20 plus years in now. So I, I really hit a wall where I was like, what am I going to, what do I, what do I do, man? I know that opening, running and working inside bars is, is very bad for me. And it's uh, going to mm-hmm. probably throw me back into drinking again. I knew working with brands that probably, even though I was offered a bunch of different stuff, probably wasn't wise because A, I don't drink it. So then that imposter syndrome just kind of sits on top of you and beats, beats you yeah. over the head. Like you PC phony piece of shit. You don't even know. You don't even know what it tastes like. You know, I mean, like <laughs> this gin right here makes the best martini I've ever had. I've been <laughs> just to pitch it and pitch it and pitch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah someone told me, so I just really yeah. couldn't. And I, and, and I'm a pretty passionate person, so I can't, I couldn't take myself serious. My fiance was like, you know, why don't you, you're, you're good at, you know, you know, leases, you know, business, you know, space, you can envision what can go into a space. You know, she, she, um, she helped me get my, my broker's license. Cause if she didn't help me, I, there's no way in hell I probably would have got that. I'm not a very test savvy human being. Mm. So she helped me get my broker's license. And, uh, I, I got the job I wanted as a broker. I was going to, um, work for a, a food and beverage focused brokerage. And I was going to head up a pop-up division and start doing like curating these pop-ups into to brick and mortars. What I learned with that too, is that, that that's, there's a toxic culture in that industry that I was like, this is also just not, I'm not happy. I'm not going to be happy doing this. Right. So yeah, I was kind of back to the drawing board on what I wanted to do at that point. I was trying to reacclimate and get social and just, I can't go out and about, what am I going to do? Have a 47 soda waters or have Coca-Cola? Like I just wasn't comfortable with those beverage options going out. And if mm-hmm. you take out, you take out the, the beverage for me, when you're going out and about, I just kind of, besides music, it's like, well, what's yeah, what are you going to do? Gonna have soda water? I started exploring, uh, like not out the first thing I really, really had that I was like, wow, this is different. And this is, this is gnarly. It was the, the logging is the hop water, which oh, I, oh, so good. It's, so, it's good. so good. It's so good. And it's like, everyone's like, oh, it's like an, it's a non-alcoholic beer. I'm like, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's a, it's a yeah. beer. It's not. So I had that and it changed my perception. I was like, all right, I can go out and drink these and, and be social and have a good time and not need alcohol. And then from there, I was like, well, what else is out there? Right. So I just started to deep dive into it. And uh, I just learned that there was, there was so much. And then that there was also a whole bunch of people like myself. So I started linking up with these like sober groups and these, you know, these uh, the people that, you know, these whatever they call themselves, the sober curious groups and I learned that they were doing these events and parties. And um, so I, I kind of met a whole different group of people while doing this. I was starting to get creative again. Cause I was like, wow, they make gin alternatives. They make Amaro alternatives. I was, you know, banging out drinks. I love an awkward segue because a corporation can't give due notice to their staff about letting them go or the change of their corporate structure. Okay. Um, how are you doing? Thanks for listening. You're still listening. That's amazing. It's absolutely delightful. Um, you should go check out the website. Website's great. I have a bunch of cool stuff on there. I learned how to, you know, make designs and make t-shirts because, you know, corporations suck. Okay. Love you. Bye.
Um, I was also just a little side note doing some digging yeah. about you and you know your career. And I found out that you have an illustrated book called Cocktail for Ding Dongs. <laughs> so it's oh. funny. So hard cut. This is the hard bound edition. Uh-huh. Uh, glossy finish. So you can rest your beverage on it and wipe it off because it's uh. probably just about as, as, as useless as a, as a coaster. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> I should say useful. I meant useful. I'm a, I'm a big fan of comic books. And a, a bar back that I was working with in Hyde Park, I found out she was very much a huge fan of doing zines and comic books. And we just originally came up with um, it was a it was a hand bound uh, comic book with like twelve recipes in it um, and illustrations and a quick little how to. And um, we called it cocktails for ding dongs. We made we hand sewed. Um, her and her girlfriend at the time, and then me and my my fiance, we sat inside of Tack Room in Pilsen, and we just sewed and glued these comic books together. Did this launch party for it, sold out of all of these these handmade books, and a publisher happened to be there and was like, "This is awesome! Stop selling it. I want to help you guys like bring it to like a a, a larger scale." So we ended up. Um, we were going to do uh, four volumes of the comic book and, and it was going to all have individual themes. So like it's represented in the book itself. It's uh, there was, there was four, four chapter, four themes that became chapters. So there was um, uh, let's see the, the first one is chapter one classics in session, which is just riffs on classic cocktails. Obviously there was uh, chapter two bringing teeny back. So that's a nod to where I started bartending, which with, Mm-hmm. Everything had like this teeny, teeny thing at the end of Apple, it. Apple, teeny, cran, teeny. Yeah. Uh, teeny, some... teeny. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like we did some cool riffs on teenies. Uh, chapter, chapter, wait, where am I? Chapter three. Uh, oh, wait, I did. Oh, yeah. Chapter three was aged and sexy, which was uh, based around you're a grown up now. So like, mm-hmm. uh, buy some expensive booze and make these like dope cocktails. There's like blood and sand and there's a French 75 using VSOP and, and Moet and Chandon and a $300 bottle of scotch to make a Rob Roy. So it's kind of just like, there's such ridiculous, useless things in there. There's um, chapter four, each don't kill my vibe and it's all each drinks and stuff. So, but everything has like a Midwest vibe to it, to the, the comics, to the dialogue. It's like my Midwestern, uh, accent of trying to explain shit, you know, like, yeah, just stir the shit up, whatever. I don't so it's absolutely ridiculous in every way, but it was also done because at that time as well, like I mentioned earlier, just the, the whole bar world has become so absurd. And so like, like there was bars where you couldn't, you know, talk and use your phone and order certain drinks. And there was, you know, it just, ridiculous so this was a way to be like everybody chill look how mm-hmm. easy it is you can make them at home even the even the ding dong in your life can make the, all these fancy <laughs> drinks right yeah. so uh it was like exposing the magician's secret so everyone got kind of bummed out about it everyone thought i was making fun of them and i was like dude everybody relax man but yeah we we published it through curbside splendor uh, on a national level i did like a little book tour thing for it cruised around did pop-ups all over you know, I was at Art Basel. I did a little thing for them. Um, I would pop up like a little table on the beach and mm-hmm. just like m- and make daiquiris and just like it, we had we had some fun with it. 
I was able to purchase the book, the rights. So I own 100% of it now uh, during the pandemic from my publisher. So I bought the inventory. So now my office is just, I got a bunch of books there. My partner, she has a bunch of books in her basement. So we just kind of self-publish it now. And it's... Oh, nice. Where would be the best place for someone to get the funnest, coolest, illustrated, <laughs> laminated cocktail book uh, around? Our $20 coaster. Um, yeah, exactly. Our- it's like Kramer's coffee table book about coffee tables. We, we sell it on our website, uh, cocktailsfordingdongs.com. I know it's in a bunch of like little independent bookstores. I think a couple of Barnes and Nobles still have it if those are still a thing. But, you know, everything's online nowadays. There you go. Very All exciting. right, my friend. All right, Stephen. Appreciate you, brother. Be well. Oh, you too. Good to talk to you.